0: My message to kind of all CEOs, all leaders, all product leaders is quant data is great and you should definitely use it, but don't over-rotate on it. Mm-hmm. Definitely ask, what is the market saying? What are our customers saying? That needs to be as important in your decision-making framework as it is like the A-B test that you are on.
1: This is Aaron May.
2: I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silence.
1: Silence is- <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Prayag Narula, the co-founder and CEO of Hey Marvin. Today, we're going to be talking about building a customer-centric product culture, which, of course, we are very much big fans of here at User Interviews. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Got Carol here, too. Hello, excited for this conversation. As a product
3: person, always looking for ways to be more customer-centric, so excited to dig in. Awesome.
1: So Prayag, I know that uh, Marvin, Hey Marvin, was uh, not built on accident. It sort of came out of a need you were seeing as you were doing your own work. So maybe you could tell us just a little bit about about where the company came from.
0: That's a great question to start with. I do really like to tell the story So, I'm a researcher by training. I'm in California. We're based out of the Bay Area. And I actually came to the US to study and then teach research, design research specifically. Before that, I was working at the University of Helsinki um, with a research group. So, I have basically been steeped in research since the beginning of my career. But as I was building my previous company, as we were doing a lot of customer research, I was really frustrated with tooling that was available. As I was teaching, I was getting really frustrated with the tooling that was available. I felt like even in academia... We had these really old and clunky tools that helped with qualitative research and helped with research analysis. But at least we had something. And I felt like none of the advancement had reached the industry. I was doing the same research again and again, because people kind of kept forgetting that we have that research. My team kept doing the same research. We were not really referencing our research beyond a project. The tooling, as I said, was clunky. So it was a big frustration when I got a chance to start my second company. You know, that was the idea, basically, that I wanted to pursue. And I was right in thinking that it wasn't just us. There were a lot of people who were facing the same problem. So I'm really happy and truly blessed to be working in the research and design community. again. I'm really thankful for that opportunity. So again, thank you for having me.
1: Awesome, awesome. It reminds me a little bit of our founding story. We I don't know if you know, but our founders had started another company. Long story short, not a success. Let's give it another go before we throw in the towel and decided to do some user research the second time around. And long story short, in their process, discovered that recruiting participants was pretty challenging. And as you said, was actually challenging for a lot of other people too. And here we are. So So
0: that was going to be my other idea if I pursued it. But I felt like user interviews was doing a great job. So decided which was my core competency, which is the research analysis piece. But there has been a lot of advancement in research tooling lately. And that Mm -hmm. has been a really, really good. I feel the word. I know in tech, we are used to making like, you know, these sweeping statements, but Hmm. I think the world is truly better off with when people are building more customer-centric, user-centric technology. So I think it's part of a broader trend. I'm very happy about that.
1: Awesome. All right. So everyone wants to be customer-centric. This is not going to be a podcast about uh, how you should really start thinking about being customer-centric. That's, I think, well-established. That's important. And most people want to do that. So today we're going to talk more about like how you actually... Do that and some high level and getting more into some tactical details as well. So, curious to hear from your perspective what are some of your recommendations to really build a culture around customer centricity?
0: So, one of the things I've learned in my career, both as a founder CEO, but also working with Fortune 500 companies, very large companies, small startups. Is that culture changes hard? And it is a lot easier to build a customer centric culture. Then to change into a customer-centric culture. Not that it's impossible, it's just hard. So the best time to build a customer-centric culture is when you're establishing a team or a department or establishing a company if you're a startup. So it, that's the best time to, to do it. And the most customer-centric teams that I've seen, it comes a lot from the top. It's a lot more of a top-down. It's a lot easier to do when the design leaders and the team leaders and the company leaders Uh, and product leaders are obsessed with customer feedback, it's a lot easier to do than you know to build it from bottom up. That's been kind of the two major lessons for me. If there are team leads, product leads, company leads, CEOs, founders listening, my message to them is start early. Start from day one. A lot easier to do it from day one. And then as leaders, obsess about it. Obsess about it on a daily basis. And that will, if you obsess about it, your team is going to obsess about it. And your team is going to want to include customer centricity every conversation that they have. So, and I've seen this in like very large public companies. We're like, oh, these are really customer centric companies. But then it turns out that their CEOs and they're all the way back to their founding, they were obsessed about customer centricity from day one. But if you want to change your company into a more customer centric company, if you are trying to do this bottoms up. What needs to happen is the research team need to act as champions for their customers and keep repeating the customer centricity and keep bringing all our conversations back to the voice of the customer and really showcase as close to the customer's own voice as possible down to we are really big fan of using like video clips. So keep repeating and keep bringing true voice of the customer into the conversation and truly become champion, whether you're a researcher, whether you are a designer, whether you are a product manager, whether you're a market researcher, whatever role you have, if you want to change the organizational culture, repetition and bringing as much the voice of the customer and socializing the voice of the customer, that's what leads to cultural change. I have yet to meet a leader or a CEO who say, oh, don't share. What our customers are telling about us, I don't want to hear. I've never heard that, right? In spite of this being kind of a popular meme, CEOs, most leaders, most team members want to hear from the customers. If you can become the conduit to do that, that is going to drive an organization cultural change.
3: Got it. So a piece of this is if you're in a leadership position, founder, et cetera, you can start by establishing the culture, by obsessing about it. And there's a piece around what individuals can do. I'd love to hear more about what what does it mean to obsess about it? Like, what does that look like on the day-to-day? How are those leaders interacting with the teams? How are they bringing up the customer questions, all that?
0: It works in two different ways, right? One is being proactively asking whoever is in their organization, whether that's research team, design team, market research team, strategy team, pricing team, proactively asking as leaders, so what do our customers say? Like, what have you heard? Is there like a new thing that you have heard? One of the best example I saw is, again, another publicly traded, very large technology company. And what the CEO's band was, especially when they were doing this new initiative, the CEO wanted to, every week, to get an email with, here is what we have learned, and here is here is kind of the, in customer's exact words, So the research team was sending them these video clips or these playlists on a weekly basis so that they can proactively hear what their customers are saying, right? So tactically, if you can just kind of ask those questions over and over, that will not only change the team's outlook you'd always learn something new. the other part of this is more strategically using that feedback in decision making and it doesn't need to be just product decision making it needs to be all decision making so hey you know we're making this decision about this product strategy what are our customers saying i think hubspot had this great example where they had this persona in the room so they would have a, an empty seat in all of in their conference room that represented a customer that was really good. But it doesn't need to be that extreme, and you don't need to leave a chair empty in a conference room. But keep asking the question what do our customers think when you're making decisions is really important. And again, this doesn't need to be just product or it doesn't need to be just strategy, even pricing, right? Like ask in every major strategic discussion, ask yourself and ask the team around you what are our customers saying about this? I think that would also change the mindset. And again, it'll give you another kind of parameter to look at while you make these organizational-wide decisions. So a couple of practical ways to do this, both being preactive and proactive, and then thinking about customer's feedback when you're making these decisions.
1: Because I do think you know bringing data to the conversation, quant data analytics is so deeply ingrained at this point. And obviously some organizations do it better than others. But the idea that if you're going to make a decision, build a product, launch a campaign, whatever, you better have some data you're basing that on. Where I think, you know, organizations are at different levels of maturity, of course, but having that same habit of how did we make this decision with customer insight? What customer insight did we bring to bear? And then how did we use it? And many organizations still has some room to grow and is a great place to start, just asking that simple question, like you said.
0: Yeah, and most organizations, in my experience, over-rotate on quant data. They over-rely on quant data. And don't ask call questions enough. There is this famous NASA saying, you know, all we in data with God, we trust everyone else needs to bring data. Right. And it's a great saying. And it's been used over and over again as like, oh, no, every decision needs to come from data. In their mind, first of all, data is quant data. I When mean, I say people right. who keep talking about this. Right. First of all, call data is data. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think what NASA means is all data, not just quant data, but also qual data. And, but people conveniently forget about qual data because it's harder. And the other thing is, if you over rely on quant data, most companies don't have the right kind of quant data. And even if you do, they don't, the right quant data, it's harder to capture context there. So my message to kind of all CEOs, all leaders, all product leaders is quant data is great and you should definitely use it. But don't over-rotate on it. Definitely ask, you know, what is the market saying? What are our customers saying? That needs to be as important in your decision-making framework as it is like the A-B test that you're running.
3: Okay. So we talked about the leadership role, both. It sounds like, I think there are two pieces that I heard you say. One is sort of set a habit, this CEO trying to get feedback every week, sort of more of a habit. And one is more just making sure that in the key decisions we're making, we're bringing in the customer. So that's sort of the leader setting the example there. Then how do you think about, again, sort of this individual research teams? What are some of the things they can do? Or I'm a PM at a company. Maybe I don't have a researcher, right? How do I make sure the customer is top of mind?
0: Research to me is a team sport. And it's not just a researcher with a capital R's job to do research and not everyone has a research team or has access to the research team, product managers or strategy people are actually in a very unique place where they have the mandate to go and engage with the customer. So do that, right? Like make sure that you make that active effort. Look, you don't need researcher to do research for you. You don't need tools to do research for you. You can just call your customer on the phone and just like ask them a few questions. That's better than nothing, right? I hope you have research and I hope you have a lot of resources. You hope you have a lot of time. I hope you have a lot of software. Even if you have none of that, it's easy to kind of get in front if you are willing to make an effort. So first of all, my message is go do that. It doesn't need to be perfect. It needs to be done, right? And then the second part of this, I think I've alluded it in some of the previous questions, is this idea to socializing, socializing your research, socializing what you're learning in form of, here is a customer quote that I thought was really cool. Here is an audio clip that we recorded in one of these conversations, right? So when you socialize and you share directly what your customers are saying, your teammates will sit up and take notice. But make it easy. Don't have them go through like an hour of Zoom call to go through that one key code. Just make it easy for people to engage with what you have learned, bring it back to the voice of the customer, and you'll start to see how quickly you as an individual in an organization would gain a reputation as the champion of the user and person that you can go to To ask what the customers are thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So once you start to do that, you know, then you're off to the races, then people would want to give you more resources. Mm -hmm. So repetition and bringing it back to the actual wall data, actual codes, actual like down to video recordings or audio recordings, I think that will be, that's a game changer. And you'll be surprised how few people do that.
1: There's a lot of uh, don't overthink it in what you're saying, which I love, right? Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And there's a lot of verbs here. just like do it early, do it often. That's better than right having this full arsenal of expensive tools and a full research team. Just talk to your customers and then share the insights and do something with the insights if they're actionable, right? So I want to get into that piece of this balance of you know quote unquote, doing research and then using research and how do you, think about where to spend the time? Do we need to do new research all the time? Is that in itself important? Or is the point to use insights we already have? How do you think about balancing the kind of doing of new research, the using of existing insights towards this goal of being customer-centric?
0: Great question. Here's what I'll say, and this is from my experience and this personal experience. A lot of teams do research when they don't have to, or they would definitely start behind in their research project or research initiative when they don't have to. Mm -hmm. In my experience, anywhere between, unless you're completely starting down a a completely different product roadmap or a completely different strategy, a lot of research questions that you need to be asked, like 20 to sometimes 40, 50 percent, are somebody has already done it and somebody has already asked those questions and somebody has you have some insight into what your market, what your users are thinking, it's a matter of finding it, right? So, I mean, that's honestly, that's one of the biggest value proposition of our product, right, is to be able to discover some of the research that your team has done previously. So relying on research that your team has done is really, really important. And I think that will save people a lot of heartache, a lot of trouble, a lot of time. But at the same time, you know, a lot of times that you have to do new research. And then I want to differentiate between when I say research, there is sometimes you have to do research with a capital R, where mm-hmm. it requires a proper process, a proper planning. You know, you would want trained researchers involved or at least you want to get some training as researcher, even if you're not a capital R researcher, to do that right. There are times where you would need that researcher with capital R, and there are times where as I said, anybody could be a researcher with a small R. So finding those differences, and I have thoughts and opinion when when you need capital R research versus small R research, but making that differentiation, do I need the research? Number one, do I need a proper process-oriented research? Can I kind of do a gorilla research? Answering those three questions can answer when do you need to do new research. Now, using research, that's a whole different ballgame. Ideally, every decision maker, every decision making process needs to go back to some research that's been done. It's easier said than done. Like, oh, well, how do we, researchers don't know what research has been done? They keep doing the same research and i not a researcher trying to make a decision. How do I go back? So that's more of a tooling question. That's more of a repository question. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of progress that's being made that can easier, but using research, yes, everybody, every decision should use some customer research or a lot of customer research. People think it's all product or people think it's all market, but strategy, pricing, there are whole lots of places where teams and companies should be using research where they're not today. So, And that's why I'm a huge fan of CEOs where they ask questions of like, what do our customers say about this? But every decision needs to start with research.
3: You mentioned capital R versus lowercase R research. You know, I want to get into that. We at user interviews use a Similar name, we say researchers, and then we say people who do research. We call them POWDER. It's an acronym. But yeah, I would love to hear about when you think it makes sense to use a, a researcher, someone with official research training versus just someone who does research.
0: Great question. So I think of researcher's job as multifold. First job that I think a researcher is a capital R, or researcher in, and not people who do research. Like researcher versus POWDER. I love that acronym, by the way. So a researcher's job is number one, to socialize both research and research as in the results of the research, and the job of doing research itself and make sure that people in the organization have visibility into the importance of both of those. They are, at their core, people who want to promote customer-centric thinking. As part of that, they also another job that they have is training people, training powders, training people who do research in terms of, hey, what are the best practices? I, as a researcher, can't be everywhere. How do we make sure that the research, the lowercase research that everybody's doing, gets done in the best way possible? So training, making sure people are following the right processes, standardizing those processes, providing them the right tools if you have available is a big part of that process. So I feel that's the primary jobs of research teams today. Another primary job is building out what we call a researcher roadmap, essentially figuring out what are the places where you need research involvement or research team's involvement, what are big strategic decisions that are being made in the organization that will require us to go and run a proper large-scale research project. And that requires talking to your product team and talking to your design team and staying ahead, talking to your strategy team, staying ahead, of what's coming down the pipeline. And so, and then getting involved in that research project and getting starting that research project is one of the best things that a research team can do. So, and then when you are doing those projects, actively involving your other stakeholders and making sure that they see how research is done as a way to train them, as a way to showcase the best practices, I think is a really good way to kind of build that muscle out in the organization.
2: All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research, and we want to help you with that.
1: We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free.
2: We all know we should be talking to users more, so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it, so get over there and check it out.
1: And then when you're done with that, Go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. I've heard a, a few folks suggest that capital R researchers are especially adept, big, long-term, expensive strategic research. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, a PM, a designer, a not-trained researcher, a powder is maybe better suited to a usability test. That Not that a researcher can't do them, but that a person that isn't a trained researcher could oversee something like that, more of an evaluative test. Do you find that a distinction like that checks out, or is it not so much about methods and more, as you were saying, researchers are really advocating for the craft and doing training, and then from there, a powder could do any kind of research? Like, How do you think that breaks down in terms of the types of research different folks are doing?
0: I don't think it's black and white. Or you need evaluative research, go to researcher. And you need, you know, there are absolutely places where you won't want research team to be doing, you know, usability testing, for example, right? Like, absolutely places for that. It's about, and again, I'm not saying researcher needs to spend all their time just training people to do more research. Saying, you know, spend your time training people so that they can do more let's call them low-impact projects, right? And that could be evaluative, that could be generative, that could be either, but more localized Mm projects. Let the team do those themselves Mm -hmm. and then find where you would make the most impact. You would make, you know, and these are usually like large-scale initiatives and people usually know those large-scale initiatives and then trying to kind of make sure that you are, being part of those initiatives and trying to insert yourself in the, and adding value to those initiatives, I think that's a lot more kind of distinction that I would make. Give your team powders freedom to do you know more localized research, and free up your time to do more strategic research and get more more strategic projects as well. And that's honestly that's kind of something that we have seen it as we've been working with a lot of very large companies. Even in large companies, the research teams are somewhat small, so. Right a lot of our customers are coming to us saying, hey, you know, I would want to bring out standardizations and tooling so that my team can do research while we do more strategic. And I think that's been a great change that we've seen in the last, mm-hmm. in the last mm-hmm. few years.
1: So you'd say that uh, a researcher is supporting big research that supports the strategy of the entire organization. Whereas a person who does research, uh, regardless of method, is doing research to support probably their area. You know, within their sphere of influence,
0: I would say impact more than uh, because sometimes you might have just one project, one product, but the team is the company's is riding on it. Sure, right. Sure. So sure. in that case, you want we might want to sure. get involved.
3: We we sometimes hear from researchers who feel like they're being maybe late in the game and pulled in at a lower level than they think they should be involved in. So I'm just wondering if you have any recommendations for researchers who want to get more involved in the more strategic conversations where maybe they're job description or the understanding of others puts them at a lower level?
0: That's a great question because I've heard that too, right? Like, well, I'm doing evaluative tests every day. And like, you know, I think seeking out partnerships, and I asked the same question to actually other research leaders in my, in my podcast, in my webinar. And I think the answer I got from this research the design leader, what she, Vanessa from Twilio, and what she mentioned was this idea of trying to up-level both your team and yourself in actually going and seeking out and having conversations with product leaders, product managers, and kind of telling them and educating them and say, hey, by the way, have you thought about the risk factors of ABC? Have you thought about the risk factors? Because, you know, from my experience, this could be a risk factor. Have you thought about it? Oh, you haven't? Why don't I go and do some research and come back? Maybe we'll need more research on this, right? So having those conversations with other members outside of your research team and seeking out those conversations is a really really big part of that but to do that you know you need to also be able to say oh i'm not needed on this one you know evaluated mm-hmm. projects and i can farm mm-hmm. that out to someone else so it requires a lot of things to come together and it requires you to have good relationships and you to have socialized the value of research in other parts of the organization that might not be as close to your day-to-day as your immediate team is.
1: Maybe we could talk a little bit about how you practice customer centricity at Hey Marvin. What does that look like? And it's always fun to to try to dog food and experiment and practice what we preach and figure out what we want to preach by trying things out. So, um, so yeah, how's it work there?
0: One of the things that we like to do, and this thing I invented in my previous company also, is all customer interactions get centralized. You know, whether that's research calls that's being done as part of capital R research projects or research calls that's done by powders or check-in calls that might be done even by customer success, or maybe your market research is doing some research. You know, they're running large-scale surveys. So anything that we do in um, Marvin gets in one Riptrain Marvin repository, right? And we go... Take it to the other extreme. Like we do, sales call gets centralized, customer success calls get centralized. Any survey, any NPS survey, email. If our PMs are getting an email from a customer asking for features or making recommendations, that needs to go into the repository. That's a really, really good step one or step zero, right? right. And that's something that we do our, the culture that we built is kind of deep into that. So if a sales team gets on a call, a customer success team gets on a call with a customer, and they've gotten some good product feedback, they'll nudge, they'll say, hey, go look at this research, by the way, research team or product team, or go look at this call that I did with a customer. It's some really good feedback. So the product team makes it a point to go back to those calls, right? So and it doesn't take much because everything is centralized, you don't have to kind of, you know, all you have to do is just go take a look at this call. And then everybody in our team, engineers, product managers, designers, sales team, customers, everyone has access to this repository. So both in terms of adding data and in terms of of reading data. So for us, every customer interaction is an opportunity to get feedback. And then when you make decisions, um, so our PRD, for example, our product requirement documents, all product requirement documents have customer feedback has a major point. In fact, down to we have videos from customers embedded in those product requirement documents and say, this is why we are building this. Every Jira's epic gets connected to a product requirement document, right? So what that means is down to every ticket that people are doing, unless it's bug fixing, and even if it's bug fixing, can actually be tracked all the way back to why we are doing this, what customers have asked for this, right? And I think that has built, at least in my opinion, a very, very customer-centric organization. Every time I read a review of AMR, when I hear like what great customer service we have and how we are willing to listen to our customers, the reason for that is we are willing to hear from our customers because we're looking at that as an opportunity to get more customer feedback. So earlier
1: earlier
3: you were talking about how to make sure that customer feedback is included in decision making. And I was actually wondering really tactically what that looks like. It sounds like one thing is you have it as a part of your PRD, it's required that we get some customer input. Other things like that where just either socially or sort of as a part of the process, you have to make sure customer feedback is a part of it.
0: So in our all hands, we always bring in both our NPS score. It's a requirement to report on our NPS score. And as part of that, we also have, like, what have we learned from our customers that might come from, ideally, there are video clips in there, but, you know, at least some quotes from the customers are included in every all-hands that we do. And this is, we have a separate product, and engineering all-hand, that's all about this, but the all-company all-hands needs to have a section dedicated to what are our customers saying about it. I have seen that to be one of the best ways. And then we also take it beyond product. So if we talk about pricing, if we talk about strategy, if we talk about market, we always bring it back to what are our customers saying? Do we have any customers that we have spoken to? Like Maybe we're breaking into new market. right? Do we have any customers in that market? What have they said to us about it? Can we go access those conversations? Let's go talk to a few people in this market. You know, This has nothing to do with if we should build this product, it's about should we go into this market? Most people are like, cool. well, that's a separate part. No, it all comes back from the customer research and, and talking to your customers, talking to your market.
1: You could imagine the scaling in any organization by simply asking the question of sort of you know what are all of our rituals, our meetings, are the things that we do, and how might we make customer insight more a part of those things you know and it, it might not be an obvious way to do that across everything, but that would probably get you some good ideas, right if you're feeling like oh, we should really probably socialize this more, make this more a part of our day to day. imagine many organizations. Could find some ways just by asking that question. Using some of your ideas as inspiration,
0: I love that word rituals because ritualizing coming back to your customers is. I don't think we actively started out doing that. I mean, it's our bread and butter, so we have to do it. But I think it has become part of the company's ritual, and it is about become part of company rituals in where I've seen a lot more customer centricity. So ritualization of customer centricity in every meeting, every decision you make, I love that idea. I think that's a fantastic way to put it.
3: Is there anything you mentioned bringing the customer feedback into strategy and pricing questions and all that? Is there anything that you've done at the leadership level or the level, you know, the level that people are having those conversations to bring the customer forward? I feel like sometimes that's where Sometimes those sometimes the leadership level is furthest from the customer, so it's almost hardest to bring the customer in there.
0: That's a great point, which is I think in my life, I, I've tried to actively stay engaged with the customer. honestly, as I said, most CEOs, most founders, most even vPs, like you know they are probably spending a significant amount of time outward-facing. And when I say outward-facing, I mean engaging. I'm not saying like, oh, they're all talking to customers, they're all making sales calls. But maybe you're talking to other teams that are you know, involved in the same field. Maybe you're talking to other companies. Maybe you're talking to other company leaders. Right. Whatever you learn, if your job is outward-facing, bringing in those learnings to your team and documenting those learnings in your repository think that's a really, really critical way that organizations and organization leaders can make sure that they are actively contributing to the knowledge base of an organization. Yes, you might be farthest away from the customer, but you're getting feedback from the market on a daily basis. You're getting feedback from other outward-facing people and organization. Make sure you share that learning. Make sure you document it. Make sure you bring it back and add it to your company knowledge and add it to your repository, that's the best thing you can do. So that's where the leadership, a lot of leaders can do a better job at that, is bringing that back and sharing it with, the, with their team.
3: Mm, so there's this piece of just, you are saying that the customer success team, the product managers, the researchers are all contributing to the repository, but there's also a lot of insight that could be coming from leadership team that they can, especially you know the CEO and customer facing folks that they can bring in. Yeah, I love that. One more question on the repository before we move on. I think sometimes the repository can feel like there's a lot of insight being dropped into it, but maybe it could feel like a black box. So I wonder, you know, that it, get, it becomes a database, but how do we make sure it feels active and alive and used? I wonder if there are any practices that you have, in addition to using it in decisions, to, to feel like that data that's getting added every day is like, I don't know, immediately visible to the company.
0: I think the stuff that you're talking about, the fact that it can become a black box is valid. I think that's a limitation of tooling rather than a limitation of the companies themselves or the teams themselves. And I think that's where AI can do a lot and can actually help you do a lot in surfacing some of those insights. So there are two parts to this one is a process and having your team kind of make sure that they build out not a repository as a way to just go back to their research, but also a way to socialize the research and as a way to help other members of their team or other teams be able to showcase their research or be able to discover the research. So teams can do a much better job of setting up their repository as more of a discovery tool. That's one piece, I think. But I think there is also tooling can do a better job. At surfacing some of these insights that are in there. So again, I, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but Marvin has this new feature where you can ask question, like a natural language question, and say, "What have our customers said about this product in the last, you know, one month, last two months?" And then AI can actually answer that question for you, and, and gets you like, you know, some really good insight that can be a, a, a really start of a discovery journey. You can do a better job at helping you build that journey and follow that discovery journey as someone who is not a researcher or someone who's kind of outside. I think AI has a really important role to play and we're just catching a surface there. I think there's so much more that we could do there. So I think partly it's the team's responsibility that's setting up this repository, this repository, but also it's the tooling's responsibility. And I think that AI can play a big role in there. I've seen some amazing results.
1: On the repository, so we have people listening who are senior in their careers, junior in their careers, people who do research, full-time researchers, large companies, small companies, right? Have repositories, don't yet have repositories, built their own Airtable or using a custom solution, everything in between. How do you recommend folks, like how far should you go in sort of nailing down your tagging and IA system for your repository out of the gate versus as you're kind of get it in there and centralize it and deal with that later How much is AI going to negate the need to do that if it can just, I don't know, figure it all out for you? Because I think, right, you want to be setting yourself up to not feel like, oh my God, we have an embarrassment of riches. We just have too much insight. We can't possibly find the signal, right? I think that's maybe a concern some folks might have, especially as you get larger. So... I guess my question is, how do you balance that organization of all this insight, depending on where you are, you know, in your life cycle?
0: It's a balance, right? Like, it's a balance of how much freedom do we give and how much do we kind of control the reins, take the reins and like not let people you know, run amok, right? So those are kind of, it's between, you know, how much constraints do we put in while also encouraging people to add data mm-hmm, or, or, mm-hmm. Or, or attack their data? I like to err on the side of give them more freedom them as in your team more freedom to bring in that data and then as you because more the problem that i've seen with a lot of teams is that researchers would be the only one bringing in a lot of that or, or maybe even so a lot of times researchers are also not bringing in maybe they're bringing in the final reports but not the actual data right If you kind of don't encourage people to add the data, if you don't make it easy for them to add the data, you are always going to end up in a place where all of your insights are coming from a a small set, small data set, rather than kind of a large enough data set. So I would say as you start, like start from a place of doing, making it easy for people to put more data in. And as you see the data start to balloon, that's when you can go in and start to massage the data a little bit and massage your process a little bit. And ideally, your tool should be able to help you with all of that. Like our focus a lot is making it easy for people to add data and making it easy for people to tag data as they're adding the data. So that is a better way. And as I said, like with AI, you can actually start to do a lot more, even with unorganized data. So let me give you an example, right? One of the new tools we've launched is this idea of, you know, you can put in a large survey, like thousands of of survey responses. And now people are like, well, if I had the thousands, let's say it has like, you know, 10,000 open-ended responses, like, what am I going to do with it? I'm not going to be able to go and have that data, right? So Marvin has like, this was a problem on Marvin, you know, until like four months ago. But now we have technology to actually go and synthesize that data automatically for you. Now, if you had added that data six months ago, you could actually now use the new technology to actually analyze that data and synthesize that data, right? right. So right. technology will catch up. So giving people more freedom is something that I always are on the side of when you're building out, especially in the early days, and especially collaborating with people outside of product uh, and outside of research, market research, pricing research, strategy research, bringing all of that in. I think that's what my recommendation is. Don't shut the gate as as you're building out the castle.
1: Well, I guess as we get to wrapping up here, you know, this is something you've thought about a ton. Obviously, we could talk about customer centricism for a very long time, but what are some parting thoughts that you would like to leave our listeners with when it comes to some of your best kind of learnings and building Marvin and life as a researcher before Marvin?
0: Talk to your customers, talk to your users, talk to your market. It doesn't need to be a big process. Get on a Zoom call, start a Google form, just get get in front of your customers. Like really, you know, you don't need to do a lot of, uh, start somewhere and then see where that takes you. A lot of companies, a lot of teams end up in kind of this analysis paralysis place. And that's, I think, is one of the, one of the, lo- I'm yet to meet a team which says, we just do too much research. I'm sure they're out there. We just sure. talk to our customers too much. I haven't I haven't haven't heard that however, on the other hand, I have heard a lot of companies and a lot of products and a lot of teams failing because they didn't emphasize customer centricity now mm-hmm. to just start to start is my big big lesson, and everything else will will come
1: together. Yeah, and there's no excuse not to with uh, with tools like yours and ours and hop on a zoom call and you're done right so it's it's easier than ever and yeah, absolutely. well, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you. This has been a a really riveting conversation, given me a lot to think about. I hope your listeners enjoyed it too.
2: Hey there, it's me, Aaron. And
1: me, J.H. We are the hosts of Awkward Silences, and today we would love to hear from you, our listeners.
2: So we're running a quick survey to find out what you like about the show, which episodes you like best, which subjects you'd like to hear more about, which stuff you're sick of, and more just about you, the fans that have kept us on the air for the past four years.
1: Filling out the survey is just going to take you a couple of minutes. And despite what we say about surveys almost always sucking, this one's going to be fantastic. So userinterviews.com slash awkward survey. And thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews.
2: Theme music by Fragile Gang.